to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, hi there. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Lots to go over here, and there's a couple of stories from last week that I just want to dive into briefly before I get into some other stuff here. Um, some audio clips I want to play, a research study that I want to go over, along with just a couple of other news headlines briefly, but some things I'm going to dive in a little deeper than others. The first major point is this, the mandates that we're hearing and everything that we're hearing from the quote-unquote federal government about get your vaccination, get your vaccination, all of that stuff, there is no paperwork that exists that forces anybody from the federal level anyway to receive jabs under any circumstance whatsoever. It does not exist. So there's no paperwork. There's no executive order. There's no, there's no law. There's nothing. This should prove to everybody the longstanding existence of this fact, which is it's not the federal government that really runs anything in our country. It's corporations. Corporations are responsible for imposing what is essentially illegal mandates on anybody within their workplace. And they are operating either as an independent agency or entity, which they pretty much are anyway, or they're being forced by or bribed by the federal government. And the federal government and the corporations are working hand in hand. And of course, we know that they've always done this since the beginning of both. But it's worth keeping in mind again that there are no, that there just doesn't seem to be any paperwork whatsoever that exists at the federal level regarding forced mandates or forced vaccinations or forced jabs, whatever you want to call them, on individual employees within corporations. It's the actual corporations that are doing this to themselves. And again, the way that that flood gets stopped and those holes get plugged and it all backwashes back on top of the corporations is again mass non-compliance. It's been said endless times. It's already occurring, so much so that now air traffic controllers, in particular, I, I saw this just the other day in Jacksonville, Florida, all walked out. It was 600 plus of them because their air traffic control company, and again, it's run by a company, I'm sure, was was asking everybody and telling everybody to get the jab by a certain date, and they just went, no, stick it, and then they all walked off. Now, you can't have air traffic controllers, of course, walking off the job. That's kind of a big deal. And it, of course, canceled tons of flights. In fact, I got that 600 number wrong. It was 600-plus flights were canceled, not 600-plus employees. Either way, it's the mass noncompliance that is working and that's really how you push back against the corporations because the corporation can't exist, of course, without the worker. So I want to play this audio from Dana Lash. She brought this up on a radio program. It makes total sense. Do you realize that there technically is no vaccine mandate, right? So all these employers who are doing this, you guys don't actually have to do this right now. You know this, right? There's nothing that's legally binding. All it was was a press release. Is everybody aware of that? Right? I mean, you know that there's with they have not even sent any paperwork for any kind of mandate to the White House's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, which they have to in order to get approval. They haven't done that. OSHA 
Neither OSHA nor the Department of Labor have received any guidance at all whatsoever for the mandate. There is actually technically not even an executive order. It's just a press release. That's all they have. There is nothing there at all whatsoever that would make or force an employer to do this. They were all over the place with this, but it's all fake. It doesn't even exist right now. Maybe they'll submit it at some point, but they haven't yet. They have imposed an optic, right? They wanted an emergency temporary standard, an unusual rulemaking process. But the rule took like six months to issue, according to OSHA. Meanwhile, vaccine mandates, apparently, they will have, I guess, what, December deadlines for some of these companies telling their employers? So this is four months after the, the, the mandate was announced. And in order to go through the emergency temporary standard, the ETS rule that Biden is following, that takes like up to six months to go into effect after you get things through the, it, the federal register. So this, this is not even a law. There's absolutely no legal binding anything to this. It is just literally a press release. Now, one of the things that the Wall Street Journal noted is that OSHA, they've used, it's, it's the ETS procedure, and they sometimes this is used instead of normal, uh, the normal process to craft these sort of these federal rules, right? And it allows lawmakers to push these edicts through faster while circumventing any kind of public input at all whatsoever, which that's normally required at this level. And that's why there is, I mean, by and large, ETS rules never make it, they never survive after, after a courtroom examination. They never, they're always overturned. OSHA's used this, Wall Street Journal writes in September, they've used this authority 10 times, only 10 times in 50 years. There's only been one that the courts have upheld. So, yeah, because there's a federal vaccine mandate is illegal and unconstitutional. So David Rivkin and Robert Alt wrote in the Wall Street Journal, quote, the states have plenary power to regulate health and safety. Congress has only those limited powers enumerated in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8. That wouldn't include the authority to put, to impose a $150 fine. That was the equivalent of the $5 from Jacobson v. Massachusetts that we've discussed and I wrote about over on Substack on an individual who declined to be vaccinated, much less to prevent him from earning a livelihood. But what the, the thing is, though, is that everybody is, is now conditioned to think that they have to do whatever the administration says and that every single edict is binding law and it's not. Stop acting like it. This is not, it's, you're not breaking any kind of law. You're not doing anything. In fact, employers have less of a legal defense imposing this stuff now because they really can't actually blame it on Biden because it's not even a law. Biden screwed over all these employers. That's 
I mean, it's it, this is Bruce Atkinson, and this is from uh, Monday, Wall Street Journal. The mandate's non-existence shields the Biden administration from legal challenges that may ultimately restrict the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's authority. Yet, the mandate is still effective at compelling industries and companies into compliance as it leaves room for any eventual issuance to target non-compliant entities. This implied cudgel is particularly effective on industries and companies that are dependent on federal spending or the goodwill of federal regulators. The non-existent mandate also allows for also allows so inclined state and local governments and companies to issue their own mandates, seemingly in lockstep with Washington. The Biden White House has been well served by presenting a non-existent mandate as a done deal. In any case, whether it's bribery, coercion, threats, whatever, the corporations, the schools, the universities, you name it, they're all doing themselves in. And they're doing it because they believe for, I don't know, there's so many tentacles to this entire mess because we know that they're receiving money for imposing these mandates. That's number one. So their pockets are being aligned, but at the exact same time, their bottom line is being damaged. Some of them know that their bottom line is being damaged, in particular manufacturers, but schools themselves seem to not understand that their bottom line is being destroyed. And by bottom line, I actually mean the attendance of their own employees. They've been jabbed now. They're wearing the masks and they've been jabbed. They're not going to be around much longer. And many of them are lining up to get booster shots because they think that that's the thing to do. They actually believe that they have to do that. Because again, on those stupid little COVID uh, vaccine cards that some people have uh, ignorantly complied to, there's four slots on those cards, not just two. So they view it as some kind of a badge of courage to get a third or potentially a fourth. Again, with all of that aside, their long-term bottom line is being crushed because they actually believe that they're going to be around to be employed. But if they're continuously taking poison, they're not going to be around much longer. So I don't know what they're thinking. And it's evident they're not thinking. But again, it's essentially just the federal government coming on TV and the media itself saying there are these mandates, there are going to be these fines if they don't comply X, Y, Z. The fact is, is the, the corporations would do well to not comply, which means what are the other motives here? What are the other motives for eliminating your own workforce? Are the people within these corporations so stupid that they're pushing through with a non-existent law? with what's really a non-existent mandate on all of their workers to crush themselves as a company, I mean, it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. It's possible. It's highly possible that they're fine doing themselves in because the people at the top, again, are still getting paid. They're still lining their money with CARES Act funds and whatever else, but they're doing their bottom line in permanently. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what happens going forward here with with these giant corporations. I just don't I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to last much longer, frankly. Okay, so I wanted to get into that because clearly that um, that was important. And God dang, just the number of people that watch their TV and, and are are willfully believing it. Again, we've known that all of this is illegal. We've, we've known that all of this is unconstitutional, but, but the corporations are just going home. They themselves, just like your local doctor, is going home watching TV and saying, well, the TV said we have to do this, so, you know, we have to do it. 
It's absurd. All right. Here's the next thing, and I wanted to bounce back to this particular, two particular stories. One I wanted to hit on just briefly, and then the other one I want to play some audio from it because I want you to hear what these school officials had to say about this incident. Last week, there were two violent incidences that uh, that occurred within schools. The first had to do with a shooting with with a black male student in Texas. Um, and ironically enough, you can go back to my Gab account and, and actually see this. I predicted that there would be a school shooting. I didn't say it was going to happen that day, but I did say to myself and, and say on Gab, watch out for the next school shooting because that's going to be the next shoot to drop because that's the next card that's going to be played and the media is going to try to run with it and do whatever. And they certainly tried until they found out, of course, that the shooter was black, and then they immediately ran away from the entire incident. Um, And the individual, unfortunately, is now out on bail, having shot at least two people, and one individual is still in a coma, I believe. And they're out on bail. Um, And, of course, the consistent comparison, of course, was that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse is on trial for defending himself and and having shot at least two people, um, or three, back in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, or, or again, I could be getting the particular location wrong, but I think that was where he was uh, defending himself during those riots. So that particular family of that particular student in Arlington, Texas, also decided to try to set up a GoFundMe page, and the GoFundMe page got canceled by GoFundMe. Thank God for that, because even families of uh, criminals try to profit from such horrific events. And shame on them for doing so, but um, who knows? They were all taking selfies and pictures at home with giant smiles on their faces while people are injured. So that should tell you just about all you need to know about them, not to mention the shooting itself. So this particular incident was in Covington High School in Covington, Louisiana, and black female student decided to slap and frankly just beat up a teacher who was in a wheelchair. The entire thing was recorded. And um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna play the audio here because the audio needs to be broken down. And again, this comes directly from their local news station. So give this a listen, and I'm gonna pop in. Pay attention to what the uh, administrator says in this particular regarding this particular incident, and also pay attention to what the police officer says too. Or police are still trying to figure out why the student attacked the teacher who's now home from the hospital recovering. And Erica Ferrando has the details on the investigation. Covington police gave us this video. They say it was posted to Instagram and Snapchat and that it shows 18-year-old Lariana Jackson talking to her teacher just after the dismissal bell Wednesday at Covington High School. Her teacher is sitting at her desk when Jackson suddenly begins punching her to the ground. This just is is very upsetting. According to Covington police, the teacher is a 64-year-old disabled woman. She's been with St. Tammany for a very long time. St. Tammany Parish Public Schools Superintendent Frank Jabia says she was taken to a hospital and is now home recovering. But she is very bruised and, and hurt. Uh, she's in a lot of pain, and uh, we just I just feel for her. St. Tammany Parish Schools and Covington Police are still trying to figure out why the student attacked her teacher. She was just talking to the uh, student about a grade, and the child was just explaining uh, their side, and then all of a sudden she was attacked. We don't know at this time why exactly or what the motive is behind the attack. Jackson was arrested and faces a felony charge of battery of a school teacher. The suspect was uncooperative during uh, the investigation. She better 
Covington police are working to identify who took the video and whether they expected the attack. I'm gonna start running. If you watch the video, it sounded like they knew this was about to happen. So we're uh, looking into it, and uh, there may be more arrests that come out of this. St. Tammany Parish Public Schools is also conducting its own investigation to determine disciplinary actions. The student could face suspension, disciplinary reassignment, or expulsion. This is a very isolated event at Coven High. Coven High is a tremendous, prestigious high school. Jackson was booked into the St. Tammany Parish Jail. In Covington, Erica Ferrando, Eyewitness News. As to whether that attack may have been part of a social media-inspired challenge, police will only say it might be, but they have not said for sure that that's what they think the motive was. Okay, first of all, let me, let me break down the scene real quick. If it was being videoed by the friends of the female student who assaulted the teacher, they're complicit in a crime. So they should be charged as well, which is what you heard the police officer say. And I agree with him in that regard. The business of motive is irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it was a social media inspired thing or not. If you don't have a brain between your ears to know that you don't assault people, then or batter them for that matter, then there's clearly something wrong with you and jail is probably the only place you belong. The The biggest issue I have beyond, well, we're looking for a motive. M- again, motive is irrelevant. You don't need a motive to convict. The, the, the issue has to do with the administrator as far as I'm concerned and what potentially might happen with this student going down the line. Sex offenders, felons, Convicted anybody's have no business being in schools or on school grounds, period. End of story. If there's, if there's one consistent avenue of unprofessionalism that has always bothered me in this field, it is the lack of a hammer dropping consistently with everybody every single time regarding these issues. You heard the news anchor who was on the scene there say, well, they could be suspended. They could be suspended for a few weeks or they could be expelled. There should be no options there. There should be no choices. There should be no different avenues. They shouldn't be sent to some alternative school. That's not what should happen. That district should cut ties with that student and the students who taped it, all of them who were involved, they should all be gone immediately. You're now being expelled. And it would go something like this. And again, this has to do with school board policy. This has nothing to do with state law. This is, lo- this is a local matter. This is always a local matter. And again, uh, the, the, this entire thing in itself could be a podcast episode simply because there are so many different, again, tentacles to this monster here. At the local level, they make the discipline policy. They're the ones that set the different avenues that could that could exist, where the policy says, well, if they get caught with drugs, then here's what, here's what happens to them. And it's a list of multiple options. It's countless things. Well, the first offense, they'll get suspended. The second offense, they'll get suspended a little bit more. The third, you know, the fir- third offense, they'll get suspended and spend time in in-school suspension. The fourth offense, they'll go to an alternative school, but don't worry, eventually they'll make their way back into the very building where they committed the offense in the first place. 
and then the fifth and sixth and seventh offense in XYZ, and then this will happen, and then this will happen. There should be one, there should not be second chances, in my opinion. There should never be. Whether it be drugs, fighting, fighting one another, peers fighting, or assaulting a teacher, all of these are crimes. They should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and they should be told, along with their families, send them a letter if they don't want to meet face-to-face. You will never come back to the school building ever again. You will never come back to this entire school district ever again. You are gone permanently. Find another way to educate your child, period. Unquote. That's all that has to happen. Losing one student that way sets a precedent, and it sends a clear, crystal clear message to everybody else who, who attends those school buildings, in particular if that message is publicized, which again I've mentioned in the past is typically not publicized. The individuals who are disciplined, that uh, the the measures that are taken for that particular student are not known to everybody in the building. That's a huge mistake, huge mistake. And then of course they always use the age of the student as being the excuse as to why they don't publicize the discipline. This continues to be a massive problem. Again, the student has a smile on their face in the mugshot. This is not a well human being. This is a person who has a life of crime in in front of them for the rest of their life. You you don't. I I have yet to meet a person who 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 physically assaults a handicapped teacher in a wheelchair and comes out on the other end of that okay. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but there, something's not clicking inside of that head. So. It, it, you know, I'm not saying it's game over for that person, but the point is, is that if that person is allowed back into any of those school buildings in the future, everybody will know who that person is. Most people will stay away from that person. In fact, much like moths to a flame, what will end up happening is, is if that student does return and that student ends up attracting particular individuals, now you're going to have to watch out for all those other individuals around that person. Because if they're attracted to that kind of person, what does that say about those people too? And then, of course, everybody's on a hair trigger because everybody's trying to figure out, okay, that one person who committed that felony and now is allowed back is now friends with all of these people? Well, what classes do all of these people have? Think of it, too, from the standpoint of not just them. Put them aside. What about the other students in that building? What about the other adults in that building? Is that, is that a healthy environment? Of course not, which is why the homeschooling children are laughing their tails off. The homeschooling families that hear about these stories, the homeschooling students that hear about these stories are laughing, 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 and then they're lying back on their bed and they're opening up, you know, opening up a book in a quiet room and they're going back to reading because they know that they don't have to wake up early and go back into these penitentiaries. Now, as far as the administrator is concerned, and again, this is my opinion, the administrators in American K-12 schools, and I wrote about this in an entire chapter in my very first book, roughly written, but I got down to brass tacks, and the fact is, is that they are in the business of image control. That's it. They want to control their image as much as they possibly can, instead of saying what I just said earlier. That's all the administrator had to say. 
If the administrator had any stones, all he would have said was, we need to rewrite our district policy immediately and, and come down harder on all of these students to make sure that this never happens again, permanently, always, and ever. So that they are gone and expelled, that it doesn't become some kind of a question, or we're going to, we're going to work them through the expulsion process, or quote-unquote, we're going to recommend them for expulsion. The answer is no. If you do this, you are gone permanently. That should be in paper. It should on, on paper, it should be in writing. People should sign off on it. It should be said on the first day of school to everybody. It should be said in every open house. If you fight, you're gone permanently. Not to another building in the district, you're gone permanently. If you bring drugs and you're caught, you're gone permanently. These are the things that need to that need to be said need to take place. And again, this is the district's failure. And it's that administrator's failure too, because again, he relies on what he believes or perceives to be, um, you know, the public image of that particular school building or that district. Well, that just doesn't happen here. That just doesn't happen here. We're prestigious and we are blah, blah, blah. Yeah, very, very cosmopolitan. Having a student bash the brains of an of a of a handicapped teacher in a wheelchair to the ground and knock her out of her chair, very cosmopolitan. Um, this this is the problem. This is this is what happens when you get more hands in the cookie jar, more bureaucrats involved. Again, I'm going to end it with this: homeschooling families are laughing at this kind of behavior because this is what happens. Uncivilized environments attract uncivilized individuals, and then when those individuals who run those uncivilized environments don't understand any of that, they're going to continue to have uncivilized individuals that come to those uncivilized environments, and that in the health education business is called cumulative risk. One unhealthy thing stacked on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, you're going to have a bad result each and every time. One of the examples I used to bring up in my class was very simple. If you're riding a bike down a highway with no shoes, in traffic, in the rain, as it's thundering and lightning, what do you think the result is going to end up being? It gets more and more dangerous as time works forward, and it gets more and more dangerous with every inept act that ends up occurring. All you're doing is just, it's like playing Jenga. You're pulling one brick out at a time, only in this case, you're stacking the bricks in a way where there's no way that the entire tower is going to remain standing. So there you go. It probably took a little too much of my time to break that down, but uh, whatever. It was worth it. Here's, because <laughs> it's my podcast, and there you go. Uh, here's another thing. This is another story. A Wyoming high school student refused to wear a mask, and then, you know, she recorded herself not wearing a mask and wanting to go into class not wearing a mask, knowing full well that the policy was to wear a mask in XYZ. This is another one of those things, again, that is interesting from a number of different angles. She's recording it because she knows what the ultimate answer is going to be. So the question I have for something like this is, is simply this, because a lot of people were saying online, you know, what a hero and good for her and standing up to the man and X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I'm not discounting that. What I'm saying is, is w what is the motive? 
because uh, again, you're breaking back. You're trying to break back into the to the very prison that you really don't need to be in. Number one, and you're trying to break back in by saying, "Hey, look, I don't want to wear the thing on my face that you want me to wear that you're all wearing." Which is like again breaking back into a prison and saying you don't want to wear handcuffs and you don't want to wear an orange jump, you know, an orange jumpsuit that you want to wear your own PJs or you want to wear whatever you want to wear. The environment is gone. These environments that are doing this to children are doing it on their own volition. They're not doing it again because the federal government told them to. They're not doing it because the state even told them to. I've said this in the past. They are local entities. The local individuals at the local school board level are the dumb ones actually imposing these mask mandates. And again, I've been over this before, but of course, a lot of these schools, private, public charter, are introducing jab mandates. And now, of course, in California, they're saying that you have to teach CRT in order to graduate and you, as a student uh, or at least learn CRT in order to uh, graduate. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the practice. If the practice is garbage, then walk away from the environment that's creating the garbage practice. And you can walk away. This is a this is a high school teenage female. She can read. So stay home, read, teach yourself, and then go somewhere where you can continue to teach yourself. Because again, it's the teaching yourself that is really the largest skill that should be taught in school that is not taught in school. Self-reliance. Uh, again, self-literacy, all of this, th th these are not skills that are taught within K-12 environments. They just aren't. If they were, they would be phasing them out of K-12 environments to the point where by the time they reached high school, there wouldn't even be a high school. By the time, frankly, they reached sixth grade, there probably wouldn't even be a sixth grade, not in a brick-and-mortar building anyway. But again, I fully understand that some people need or believe that they need this face-to-face -face instruction all of the time, in particular those that have serious um, mental and emotional or physical handicaps, so to speak, because they need, that, they need that kind of environment. But the vast majority don't, and this is not a student that does, which means, again, are they doing this to set up some kind of a precedent to ultimately bring down the mask mandates within their district and highlight who the bad players are and whatever else, it's possible. Are they doing it to get internet clicks? It's possible. I don't know. Um, it's not a new practice, though. I mean, I, it's like uh, it's like showing up in the, in the eighth inning of a baseball game with a glove and a hat, and they go, I'm ready to play. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We've already, you know, people people have already been playing this game throughout America that – you don't need to wear a mask, really. I mean, we, we know what the masks are and whatever else, but I don't know. I, I think it I think it was weird. I, I just I think it's a bit stale at this point, but again, if it helps somebody and somebody learns from it and it empowers them, great. But frankly, we need to circle the wagons and families should be circling the wagons and, and relying on themselves. And uh, heaven forbid, being a little selfish in that regard is not a bad thing. I think altruism can be remarkably problematic, and I agree with Ayn Rand on the business of altruism, that it really gets people in trouble, and they think that they might be helping, but in fact, they're just wasting their own time. Uh, they've got to help themselves first.
And then the number of individuals that they can help down the line is probably endless. But as long as that particular female student continues to, to go to that particular building, they're not helping themselves. And they're certainly not helping the slaves that are continuing to go. Again, you want to shut down that building, mass noncompliance. All the students shouldn't show up and then watch what happens. The entire thing will crumble. The entire thing will cave in on itself. Um, so there's that. Okay. Speaking of that happening, of course, this is an Epoch Times story. I'm just going to mention this briefly, but there's at least eight counties in Florida that are not abiding by Governor DeSantis's no mask mandate uh, executive order. And so he is now fining them all, um, whatever it was, 50 grand a piece, something like that. Of course, they have the money because they're receiving the CARAX funds, or they at least were, and the ESSER funds. So finding them 50 grand to just filter it back when they're being given tens of thousands of dollars, 50 grand is a drop in the bucket. But again, it's for every single infraction. So eventually they'll run out of money if they keep doing it, but at least he's sticking to his guns. And, uh, and now at least again, eight counties are being fined at least 50 grand for continuing to impose those mask mandates. This other one came from the Epoch Times as well, and I wanted to read this briefly. And it says, Court sides with unvaccinated Michigan athletes in mandate case. Quote, 16 unvaccinated athletes won another round in their legal battle to play sports despite Western Michigan University's mandate that all of its intercollegiate athletes get the COVID-19 vaccine shot. Again, I'm going to continue to read this here in just a minute, but this should prove to everybody, too, that these universities, schools, and organizations and entities have no idea what these shots are doing. The absolute moment you hear of an adverse reaction should be the moment everybody says no. I'm shocked that it takes more than one case. For I mean, it's hell. It's millions of cases at this point. It's millions of cases. So the idea that it takes even that for them to not understand should tell everybody how dumb these people are and how brainwashed they are. And it really is a lack of intelligence at this point, and it's exposing itself. You've got individuals over here with myocarditis, but that's not the only issue. How about death? How about blood clotting and death is the issue? Because people are hung up on the myocarditis for the young people and for the athletes. Well, it's, it's an athlete and heart damage. Oh my God. What about death? What about that one? Is that good enough? I mean, fatigue is bad enough. Permanent heart damage that's going to lead to their death in three to six years, yeah, that's bad enough too, unless they get a heart transplant, but the odds of that happening are going to be slim to none. We're running out of hearts in this country and around the world. I mean, they're wiping out organs of people, and people need to understand that too. You can't take, you can't take vaxxed blood and put it into yourself. You can't do that. So what about the organs? The organs are all contaminated in the jabbed also. These people can't donate organs. And again, that brings up a whole host of other issues. Uh, it, it's never ending. But I'll continue here. It says, quote, in a unanimous publish, published decision issued October 7th, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth, Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati, Ohio, held that the university violated the athlete's First Amendment rights. Well, then that should be the end of it, should it not? For everybody everywhere. 
It says all 16 athletes had filed for religious exemptions, which according to the court, the university ignored or denied. And there you have it. I've also heard this. I'm not going to continue with this story because it's pretty self-explanatory. The issue here is, is that if individuals, I mean, the mask mandates are, I'm sorry, not mask mandate. These exemptions themselves are an abomination, I think. And it doesn't matter which one they fill out. They're all abominations. Um, But I've heard and read that the religious exemption is really your best shot if you were to actually fill one out. But when it comes to the exemptions, and this is my opinion, you should never fill out an exemption. I'm sorry. I, I, I know that that's a harsh thing and that crushes a lot of people with their employment and whatever else. But, you know, this is my opinion. Because the exemption is a not just a slippery slope, it's a perpetually oiled slope that will not stop receiving its grease, and it will just get worse with time. And as time goes by, they will find more reasons to not allow these exemptions, but at the exact same time, they will, they will force more exemptions. They will find loopholes within exemptions, and that's that's just how evil these people are at the top who are actually running the show, again, within these schools, universities, and corporations. So the second you start filling out an exemption is the second that uh, they're just going to find another exemption for you to fill out, and they're just going to tighten that vice, and it's just going to get harder and harder to be accepted. And then again, you're signing away your own rights and your own constitutional rights one step at a time. But again, in this case, it worked out in their favor. It's not working out in everybody's favor. Not sure why. You would think that a, a very simple precedent like this would be set and then that would be it. But that has to come from the Supreme Court. And as we know, they're not touching any of these issues right now, which is a much larger problem, of course. Okay, so moving away from that, here, here's a couple other things I wanted to bring up, and this has to do again with sort of the cognitive dissonance among individuals, in particular the jabbed, and this has been brought up in the past, and I've got a couple other examples that I, that I want to mention here too, um, and then there's two, two more things I want to bring up at the end here <clears throat> with one more piece of audio. The adverse reaction stories that are occurring with the jabbed, they really are interesting when you examine what the individual is thinking, how the individual is behaving, what they're saying, and what they're doing after they've received the jabs and then some health issue occurs down the line. And whether or not they're making the connection from the jabs to the particular health issue. So the first one I just wanted to revisit quickly, remarkably sad because they're all sad, but you've heard Dr. Robin McCutcheon, who's a friend and has been on the, uh, on the podcast here numerous times since the very beginning of this podcast, that her husband's mother received the jabs and now has uh, aggressive cancer started in the lymph nodes, worked their way uh, to her breasts, and then has a, a aggressive cancer of that, of that type. Um, and she even brought it up in, in, the, in the last episode or, you know, the last time that she was on. That's just one example. Again, 
the number of people that I know who know someone or are related to someone who have who have had adverse reactions or a, a horrible health event occur as a result of of being jabbed, regardless of who it's impacted, whether it be uh, you know a, a, a premature birth or a miscarriage or uh, a transmission adverse reaction from being around the jabbed or cancer or what have you. I, I know more of those occurring than I do of anybody ever getting COVID or getting coronavirus or SARS-CoV-2. It's the jab that's the kill program here. That's the kill program. That's the depopulation program. It's the jab. Been written about for a century, if not longer than that. So with that aside, there's another particular story that I wanted to bring up, two of them in particular. The first has to do with Again, I have mentioned him before, bless his heart, but you know, Jimmy Houston, the the famous fisherman. I used to watch his fishing show all of the time on ESPN when I was a little kid. And he doesn't look like he's aged a day. I mean, he's got the same hair and whatever else. He he's a goofy dude, but he's not making the connection between him and he, he and his wife receiving the jabs and then Days later, his wife suffering from a major brain aneurysm, strokes, and now paralyzed on the right side of her body, or at least partially paralyzed. He's still not making that connection. And he does these occasional uh, YouTube videos where he'll, where he'll sort of provide an update on, on, the, on the health status of his wife. He actually said this in one of his more recent episodes, and I, I don't watch the show per se, but I've seen it before because I wanted to get his reaction to, to you know, how he sort of rationalizes all of this. And he's, he's really rationalizing it hard, which is really sad to watch. But he actually started to make fun of the individuals who were telling him, look, bro, it was the jabs that did this. Yes, she probably had high blood pressure. Yes, she was on high blood pressure medication. But the jabs have been proven to make all of that worse. And so he started to sort of dig into the people who have told him, hey man, it was, you know, it's the jabs. And he, he calls us the anti-vaccination or the anti-vaccine people um, and, uses, and uses all of that derogatory, made-up cabal lingo, which is really sad. But the last time he said it, I thought it was interesting because he kind of got this smile on his face when he was saying it as if there was a percentage of doubt in his head. The problem was is that he reverted to his doctor's opinion. Well, that's not what the doctors say. The doctors aren't saying it was the shots. Jimmy, I'm, you know, booby baby, I'm going to tell you something here. The doctors are never going to tell you that. I mean, that's the problem. So he doesn't even know that. He doesn't know that even if the doctors figure this out, they're probably not going to say anything. And I wrote about that again in my last Substack article. They're not going to say it. They're just going to use different word manipulation tactics and say, well, they're allergic or uh, it was a breakthrough case or it's incredibly rare or whatever they're going to say. These are the excuses that they're going to bring up. So that's not going to be something, again, that he's ever going to come to grips with potentially. Unless, of course, he ends up having an adverse reaction in the future because of a diminished immune system, which will probably unfortunately occur. The same is true with his other family members who have received the jabs. And I believe at least one of his family members 
is either a doctor or a nurse or something and is in the health professions. So again, you know, if we live in an echo chamber, that's all you're going to hear. So you've got to get out of that echo chamber for a while and you've got to start reading and you've got to start, you know, thinking for yourselves instead of locking arms and saying, we all think this no matter what. If that becomes the if that becomes the case and becomes the pattern, no one's ever going to learn anything, and that's going to be a huge problem going forward. The next thing had to do with a story that I read on uh, I read on Telegram from COVID vaccine injuries, and I don't know if it was the individual from Australia who manages that particular Telegram uh, thread or Telegram channel, and they do a fantastic job. I I I, I thoroughly am educating myself a lot on on what they're writing and what they're putting out there and the stories that they bring to that channel. So it's COVID vaccine injuries on Telegram. I highly recommend tuning into that. Um, But they were describing a story, and I'm not going to read the story, but I'll do my best on recall because it really is interesting, I think, and, and it's horrific as well. They went back to this hospital in New South Wales where they had been there before. They had even given birth there before, so they they had been there a dozen plus times. Um, give or take, over the course of their life. And they were there as a follow-up from a surgery that they had had previously. And I don't believe that they're masked, and I, or I don't believe they're jabbed. They, they certainly didn't talk like they were. And they were, sit, they, they were describing sitting in the waiting room, and the waiting room, everybody was jabbed um, except them. And everybody had a fever, allegedly. And they had the waiting room cut off by three sections. There was like code red, code yellow, and then code something else. And if you were in the last group, then you you really didn't have much of a fever at all. As they were sitting in the waiting room and they were they were watching what was happening taking place in the waiting room, they said that they looked over and there was a 13-year-old girl, roughly 13. She had taken the jabs, sitting there with her mother. And she was bleeding vaginally, and the blood was coming down her leg, and and she looked over, and she saw the blood coming down this child's leg, and she looked at the mother and said, excuse me, but, you know, you need to do something about this. Your daughter is bleeding. She needs attention now. Um, There are endless cases where that's the case. So that's the first thing, again, that she just witnessed just while sitting there. The second thing, she said there was a, a girl in her late teens, early 20s, who had also received the jabs and was staring at her phone and playing with her hair and rubbing her hands through her hair. And every single time that she was rubbing her hands through her hair, her hair was falling out. And she didn't seem to know. And so she looked underneath um, her chair. This She was looking underneath this girl's chair. And she just said it looked like a hairdresser, uh, like a hairdresser's floor. There was just hair all over the place from this girl just, you know, playing with her hair and and combing her fingers through her hair. Again, th- this these are the these are the symptoms of radiation poisoning. In particular, the hair loss. And that's not the first time that I've brought it up in this podcast, but um, it's absolutely awful. And then, of course, they said that they eventually got ushered back so that they could talk to a doctor and whatever else. And there were nurses that were leaving, and they were understaffed, and there were countless alarms going off in multiple rooms. She said that. Um, Two two jabbed individuals who were in their twenties, mid to late twenties, came in, uh, and they died, and they didn't leave. They were rushing machines into their rooms. 
probably ventilators, uh, and then they and they ended up dying as a result. So again, that's just one. That's one hospital. That's one place. One hospital. Um, and unfortunately, I I hope not, but the writing is on the wall here that that might be indicative of of something that's coming down the line here with these other hospitals because again the leaves are changing and it's getting colder outside and as that happens the cells in the body shift and then of course for those that have taken the jabs um assuming that they didn't receive a uh a saline shot of some kind they're immunocompromised and um that's not going to go well in the future. So these are things that we're going to have to pay attention to. And I'm certain that in the future, the, the number of video and the number of audio that's going to come from packed waiting rooms and packed hospitals is really going to be alarming. But it's certainly something that I'm going to bring up here because again, that's going to be the next shoe to drop. Again, those videos happened over a year ago when people were surveilling these hospitals and seeing that no one was in them. They were talking about all the TikTok nurses and this, that, and the other, and no one was in these hospitals. But uh, I have a feeling that's not going to be the case going forward. So, with all of that said, I think that this particular article sums up a number of different things that I've brought up in this particular episode, and um, it's certainly worth reading because, again, this is going to sound remarkably obvious, but th- these are the these are the kinds of articles that I've brought up in the past that are really the ones that need the most attention. And if individuals are out there in academics or, or, or the medical profession, and all they're doing is talking about racism this and racism that and politics this and politics that, or we need, we need more critical theory of varying natures and blah, blah, blah. Those people are not well by any stretch of the imagination because this article right here from The Lancet, I might add, one of the largest, if not the largest medical journals in the world, is really hitting the nail on the head. So I'm going to read through um, just the beginning and maybe a few details throughout, but uh, here's the title. It's titled, quote, Global Prevalence and Burden of Depressive and Anxiety Disorders in 204 Countries and Territories in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, there's no pandemic. It's not the definition of a pandemic, but I'm going to read the, uh, the summary here, the interpretation, and then a few of the details as well. The summary at the beginning. It says, quote, Before 2020, mental disorders were, were leading causes of the global health-related burden with depressive and anxiety disorders being leading contributors to this burden. The emergence of the COVID-19 pandemic has created an environment where many determinants of poor mental health are exacerbated. The need for up-to-date information on the mental health impacts of COVID-19 in a way that informs health system responses is imperative. In this study, we aim to quantify the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the prevalence of burden of major depressive disorders and anxiety disorders globally in 2020. Okay, so methods. It says, we conducted a systematic review of data reporting and prevalence of major depressive disorders and anxiety disorders during the COVID-19 pandemic and published between January 1st of 2020 and January 29th of 2021. 
We searched PubMed, Google Scholar, preprint ser- servers, gray literature sources, and consulted experts. Eligible studies reported prevalence of depressive and anxiety disorders that were representative of the general population during the COVID-19 pandemic and had pre-pandemic baseline, had a pre-pandemic baseline. Now to kind of summarize this, as you might expect, the larger countries have the larger problems when it comes to the mental and emotional health and depression and anxiety of, of their citizens. The other aspect that, of course, they bring up is that it's not just it's not just what people are seeing that is creating the anxiety and depression but it's actually how people are also feeling and of course vice versa that when individuals become sick they are more likely to become agitated and that those individuals of course are more likely to um become anxious ridden and that leads to depression, and vice versa. So here's what it says. It says in the findings, we identified 5,683 unique data sources, of which 45 met inclusion criteria, which included 46 studies met criteria for major depressive disorders and 27 for anxiety disorders. Two COVID-19 impact indicators, specifically daily SARS-CoV-2 infection rates, and reductions in human mobility were associated with increased prevalence of major depressive disorders. So I'm just going to read and wrap this up with this research in context section. Because unfortunately, even the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation helped fund this, which should tell you something. Because again, they're not interested really in solving the problem unless they create the problem, Hegelian dialectic, by the way, They create the problem and then they sell you the solution. Because what it says at the end of this article is unfortunately very indicative of countless articles much like this, which is, we can't do nothing, is what they'll say. We have to increase medical and emotional help for countless individuals, which of course causes that individual to lose copious amounts of money, either through counseling or through drugs which of course does nothing but bolster the counseling business or the psychiatric fraud business, as I'll sometimes call it, and of course the pharmaceutical industry as well. So the person who ends up with a shortest straw and gets stuck uh, without a chair when the music stops ultimately is the individual who's having to deal with all of these lies, work in these unhealthy environments, and manage all of this corruption. That's what snaps the mind. What snaps the mind is... Um, the overwhelming lies that are taking place throughout this entire time. So, two final sections here. It says, the added value of this study. Quote, This study is the first to quantify the prevalence and burden of depressive and anxiety disorders by age, sex, and location globally. And yes, it says sex, not gender. Thank God. It continues, it says, We compiled available evidence of the changes in prevalence of major depressive disorder and anxiety disorders during the COVID-19 pandemic. We then developed a model to estimate the prevalence of major depressive disorders and anxiety disorders by age, sex, and location on the basis of available indicators of the location-specific impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. We then used prevalence to estimate the burden of major depressive disorder and anxiety disorders due to the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. 
And then finally, the implications of all available evidence. It says, quote, We found that depressive and anxiety disorders increased during 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, the depressive and anxiety disorders featured as leading causes of burden globally, despite the existence of intervention strategies that can reduce their effects. Meeting the added demand for mental health services due to COVID-19 will be difficult but not impossible. Mitigation strategies should promote mental well-being and target determinants of poor mental health exacerbated by the pandemic, as well as intervention to treat those who develop a mental disorder, unquote. I'm, I'm sorry, but as, as interesting as this study is, and as unshocking as it should be, this is the Hegelian dialectic to a T. Create the problem, sell the people the solution. That's it. Because their solution for increasing the mental and emotional health will not be to tell anybody the truth. It will be to sell them a drug. It will not be to extinguish the lies and create a healthy working environment based on actual things that work. And by things, of course, I mean hospital policy, school policy, um, whatever it may be, an open and healthy and free environment. Not that. They can't have that. It has to be more and more strict control. It has to be, you have to sign here. You have to behave this way. You have to take this drug. You have to comply. What they don't care about is that it's the complying that's breaking the mind. They know that, and they don't care. This right here should prove it. Because again, that's what causes a snapping of the mind, is by everything that has been occurring this entire time. So... There's no real smooth ending to this particular episode other than this entire study in The Lancet is being funded by the very people who are destroying people. And that should be about all the evidence you need that they're creating the problem to sell you the solution. With that said, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Should be an interesting week. More and more things are, of course, happening on a constant basis here. It seems like every single week uh, the hammer is dropping over here and more is being revealed over here. You know, it's a, it's a good thing, but certainly requires a little time and a little analysis. And again, I do appreciate you listening to this just to listen to my interpretation and my analysis on some of this stuff. But, you know, this, this Lancet example is just one of those examples. Again, someone reads the title and says, well, of course, that's beyond obvious that people are becoming more and more depressed and anxious ridden throughout this time. But then you get into it, you can see who's funding it, and again, it's the Hegelian dialectic all over again. So I'll catch you on Wednesday, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.